Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, every week on the Beeson Podcast, there are two people who are completely unseen. Well, I guess all of us are unseen, but also unheard. They're in the background, and yet they're tremendously important, I would say essential, uh, to the Beeson Podcast that comes to you week after week. One of them is Betsy Childs. Betsy's actually the director of the podcast. She does the planning for it, all of the scheduling for it. And the other person we're going to talk to today in an interview, and that is Rob Willis. Rob, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you so much, Dean George. I am delighted to have this conversation with my friend and colleague here at Beeson, Rob Willis. If you're a Beeson alum, if you've been around Beeson Divinity School any time in the last 16 years, you will know Rob Willis. He's absolutely an essential part of our operation here. He is the Media and Technology Manager at Beeson. He runs our media center. He does much, most all of the recording that we do in our chapel. Uh, he's just a marvelous Christian brother who's so deeply involved in the life of our school. And uh, he's a person that I wanted to introduce to you in this special way just by asking him a little bit about his own background, how he came to faith in Jesus Christ, and uh, how he came to Beeson. Tell us that. I grew up in a in a home that was largely atheistic. My background is most of my family is Jewish, and I uh, was born in New York, uh, moved to the Caribbean and lived there for a number of years. And growing up, our house was the house where uh, if you were a musician and you came to the island, where we were the house where you stayed. It was uh, kind of a, a very free lifestyle. And I was encouraged to find truth pretty much anywhere. Uh, but I was kind of warned, just don't look in the New Testament. <laughs> so your parents were not observant Jews. They weren't observing the festivals or anything like that. No, some of my family did. And I remember going to uh, one of my grandparents' house for, for Passover or perhaps to my aunt's and uncle's house for Passover, things like that. And we did in our home keep Hanukkah and things of that sort. But we didn't. we weren't observant. We weren't temple-going I still had just a spiritual hunger, but it was really when I went to college that I first encountered people who believed the Bible and took the gospel seriously. And they really were the first ones who began pressing me with the thought that Jesus was the only way to God. Now, this, of course, disturbed me, and I had questions that uh, that I thought no one else had thought of that I needed to ask them, things like, well, what about all the people who haven't heard? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Things of that sort. Yeah. And so finally I thought, you know, if I could just get a hold of one of these New Testaments myself, I could really do some damage to their argument. Mm. I asked this one Christian who had been sharing with me, oh, could I get a copy of that uh, New Testament? And she was very nice. She said, I'll give you one. So she gave me this copy of it, and I opened it up. And what happened shook me to my shoes. Because these are the words that I saw. These are the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now to Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac was born Jacob. And I began reading this list, this genealogy of people, people that I knew from the stories that my grandma Ruth had told me as a boy. And I said, what are these Jewish people <laughs> doing here in this book? Yeah. And so then I began to wonder if someone kind of on my camp hadn't been completely honest with me. 
So that was your sort of introduction to the Christian faith, just out of a a questioning mind and a perplexity of these ideas. Mm -hmm. And you're reading the New Testament, and suddenly some light begins to dawn, Mm -hmm. and that leads you further into other conversations, I assume, with other believers in in Jesus who saw him as Messiah. Yes. Um, And during this time, I did meet some people from Jews for Jesus. But really, it was the text of the New Testament that did it. Uh, there were so many things that I expected to find as I read the gospel that that weren't there at all, and things that I never expected that I saw there in the person of Jesus. I kind of figured that he would be a very religious person, maybe judgmental. Now, I grew up, you know, very liberal, welcome everybody, love everybody, and yet Jesus seemed to be much better at that than I was. Uh, in fact, really, he made my love look pretty hypocritical. Mm, wow. And then it began to dawn on me that I was a sinner mm. and that I needed grace. Mm. And then when I saw, as I continued reading Matthew's gospel and saw his death on the cross and realizing that he did that for me, that he did that for people like me, sinners mm-hmm. in need of God's grace. Mm-hmm. That really, once again, was not the sort of thing that I really anticipated. I could not have imagined how great God's love was. And then it turned the question around. The question basically was turned on its head. Uh, because what I began to think and ask myself at that point was not so much, well, if God loved us, and why did he just make one way? The mm-hmm. question now was, what if God hadn't cared enough to make a way at all? Yeah. God in his grace made a way for us through his son, Jesus. There was no way before that. Oh, that's a wonderful insight. Now, let me ask you, a, maybe it's a difficult question, um, coming from the background you've just described and with the cultural heritage that you have. Uh, now you're finding uh, a newfound faith, really mm-hmm. a new life. You use that yes. word life uh, with reference to, to Jesus, Yeshua, yes. the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were, did people see you as a traitor to your own heritage? Was there a, a difficult time of a kind of being repudiated by those that you loved? Or could you talk about that at all? Yeah, it was, it was very ironic for me because I'd been in music school and was really interested in pursuing a career in music. And when I became a Christian, I realized how self-seeking a lot of that was. So I laid that down and spent three years working and living among the homeless in Boston, and really doing what I understand now to be spending some time in the school of love with Christ. My job was to find 50 sets of clothing for people each day, clothing that fit and that they liked. (laughs) This meant dressing up people of all different stripes and colors and coming from so many different places. But then I started getting word back from my family, things like, Robbie, what is this that I hear that you've become a neo-Nazi? I'm like, ah, that just doesn't seem consistent with the way that I'm living, that a rumor like that would go around. But in a way, yes, to to embrace Jesus was uh, seen as a cultural betrayal. Even, even among non-believing Jews, there's a sense that to embrace Christ is to jettison the rest of your culture. And I just, the more that I read the scriptures and the more I studied the more I was convinced that the most logical, rational, and consistent thing a Jewish person can do is believe in the Jewish Messiah. This is going to be aired sometime uh, in the fall, and uh, that's the time of the year when, of course, there are many uh, festivals of the Jewish faith. Mm -hmm. And I know you've studied these in a special way, the Mm -hmm. feasts, their significance. Uh, Talk a little bit about that. 
there's so much here for the, for the Christian. And one of the things that I would like to share is just how these flesh out the calendar that we already follow in throughout the Christian church. Uh, one of the main ways that God communicates overall is through time. He has revealed us over time his word from Genesis to Revelation, uh, but he also uses the calendar in very wonderful ways. And within the church, we have seasons, and they run basically from the birth of Jesus through to his death, burial, resurrection, and then at Pentecost, we celebrate uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Just before that, many of us who are actually detailed about this uh, celebrate Ascension Sunday when Christ ascended into heaven. And then it seems like it kind of trails off after that, doesn't it? We're actually recording this wonderfully on the first full day of Rosh Hashanah or the new year. And I don't know if we ever stop and think about it, that this time of the new year is actually celebrated in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. When God was preparing to bring Israel out of Egypt, he said, from now on, this month will be the first of months for you. In other words, you're now going to reckon your identity in the event that's about to take place, which is God's mighty deliverance. The Exodus. The Exodus. Mm. And so that's going to be the defining event. And that's the defining event for us as Christians. We were, we were in bondage to sin and to slavery. And God, by an act of his will, by his mighty arm, he brought us out. And we came through, through the, the Red Sea of baptism, and now we are on a wilderness journey where we learn obedience and trust in God until he brings us into the promised land. This is the Christian life as well. We have been grafted into uh, not only this lineage, but also this narrative. Mm. This story is now our story as Christians. But now with Passover falling in the first month and the calendar being shifted in that way, all of a sudden we have the new year falling in the seventh month, mm. which seems odd to us at first until we think of the seventh as being the month of completion. Yeah. And that the new heavens and new earth are the next major work of God. And so as we begin to piece it together, we see that the fall feasts complete for us that story we've already been telling from the nativity mm -hmm. to the resurrection and ascension of Christ to the giving of his spirit. But now in this season, we remember his return, wow. that there's coming a day when God is going to make all things new. Yeah. And that during this week of Rosh Hashanah, we remember that God is going to um, create a new heavens, a new earth. When we experience Yom Kippur, we remember that he's going to cleanse all sin. But we also have this veiled reference to Zechariah, where God speaks of a day in which uh, there will be a fountain for cleansing opened in Jerusalem for the people of Israel, that they'll look on him whom they have pierced and mourn for him like an only son, mm. uh, that there's coming a day of national repentance and yes. turning to Christ. Right. And then ultimately that we celebrate the Feast of Booths, yes. which is that time when we look towards that day when we will know that the tabernacle of God is fully now with man, as it says in, in Revelation. Yeah. And so really the calendar is completed in this season. And I think it helps us as Christians to have that complete narrative built into our year so that each year as we remember the birth of Jesus, as we remember his baptism, his life and ministry, as we remember his death, burial, resurrection, as we remember his ascension, as we remember that God gave the church his Holy Spirit, that we also remember 
and have a set time to look forward to his return. Oh, that's great. You know, as I listen to you talk, Rob, it's so evident that uh, you, you found Jesus Messiah's your, your life, and yet yes. that has not meant for you the repudiation of your, your Jewish heritage. You, you no. see it in, as a fulfillment in a way, don't you? Absolutely. In fact, um, I never really had much of an interest in the scriptures. I found them uh, as a non-believer, very difficult to read, and particularly the Torah. But now I really know what the psalmist talks about when he talks about delighting in God's law. And it's, uh, it's wonderful. I remember one, one, well, once or twice maybe at Beeson, you have helped us as a community of faith uh, celebrate together a, a Seder meal. Tell us a little bit about that ritual and why you think it is something Christians can participate in with hope and joy. I've had the joy of of doing these with hundreds of churches throughout Alabama and beyond. And again and again, what I find is that when I do the Seder, that people say, I'll never take the Lord's Supper the same way again. That to hear in context what Jesus was doing on the night that he was betrayed, when he took the the bread and said, this is my body, and Mm -hmm. took the cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for the remission of sins, Uh, that he was taking things that had already been settled in uh, a millennia and a half of tradition Mm. and was then taking a spotlight and shining on these two particular elements of the whole meal and saying, you know this whole story, the story Mm. of God's mighty deliverance. Well, all this time they've been speaking of me. That's what he's saying. Mm. And so to bring together the context with the fulfillment for for people, it helps them to see what it is that God and Christ was doing. But it also helps them to see, again, eschatologically, it helps them to think in terms of Christ's return. And that's something I think we kind of lose when we take the Lord's Supper without thinking about the context. Now, uh, you've been at Beeson for so many years, 16 years, and during that time, you you have you have recorded, I think, everything we've done. I mean, you're <laughs> yeah. so you must have in your mind these spinning discs, or going back to the days of tapes, <laughs> yes. all of the sermons you have heard, all the lectures. When you think about that, uh, is there anything that stands out that just is this is something I'll never forget? It's just so memorable out of all these hundreds of things you've listened to. There are so many, but I'd have to say. Some of them were in the classroom, and I think... Uh, Say a little bit about that, because we do record uh, some of the classes offered here, and so you have our professors also available yes. in, on audio. Yeah, and the truth of the matter is that of the things that we do at, here at Beeson Divinity School, the best stuff happens in the classroom. That's a good word. But there was a course that changed my life here. And it was Dr. Matthew's third section of Hebrew. It was Hebrew uh, exegesis. You're referring to Dr. Kenneth Matthews. Dr. Kenneth Matthews. been here really almost from the very beginning as a professor of Hebrew and Old Testament. When I took his Hebrew exegesis course, he had just finished writing his first volume on Genesis. And he brought us through translating and studying the first 11 chapters. And that course changed my life. Wow. I don't say that lightly. I can't think of another course that I can say that similarly about. What about that was transformative? What it did is 
I saw there that the seeds for everything else in the scriptures were planted in Genesis, that from Genesis grows everything else in the scriptures. But not only that, that Genesis addresses all of the key issues of our life and worldview. The questions that are argued about today on the Senate floor are answered by things that we can read in the book of Genesis. Being able to see that and seeing the application in everyday life of those uh, ancient words uh, just again reaffirms the the truthfulness and the faithfulness of God's word. Applicable today, I've never spoken or preached the same way again. Now, I want you to say just a word about your family. You're married yes. to a wonderful lady named Vicki. Mm-hmm. And say a word about Vicki and your children. My wife, Vicki, and I have been married going on 22 years. And, Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> we met in Boston, which is a perfect place for someone from the Virgin Islands and someone from Gadsden, Alabama to meet. <laughs> and so uh, one of the things that we committed to as really as part of our marriage vows is to live a life of godly simplicity. Mm. And that's been our, our goal and trajectory ever since, to be able to live simple lives so that we can be focused on things of the kingdom and the things of ministry. Mm-hmm. And she has modeled that for me in, in a way that is like no other. Mm. She is the most loving and welcoming person Mm. that I've ever encountered, and she shows the welcome of Christ now daily uh, as she works as an RN at UAB. And your children? And then we have Hannah and Nina, who are now 16 and 14, if you can believe it. Wow. Yeah, they're high school students, and uh, they're just a joy. Marvelous. Now, you also are involved in the Brook Island Community Church. Yes. Say a little bit about what you do there and what kind of church that is. Yes. It's a really, Brook Island is a fascinating story because it began its life as a German evangelical church. It was St. John's Evangelical. It was downtown, and it was a German language church for uh, German immigrants coming to Birmingham in the early 1900s. It moved out to the Inverness area in the 90s and kind of took on a Bible church flavor. And so then it had this layer of liturgical old world worship and then this simplified Bible church worship. And then they called me, and I was actually doing a church plant with some Beeson students. They heard about us meeting nearby and asked if we would help to revitalize their congregation. So six years ago, they called me, and they also, I guess, called us. And <laughs> um, and it was the perfect match. You know, I consulted with a lot of people and had a lot of people pray as uh, we considered this. And a lot of people said, these sorts of things don't work well. (laughs) Um, But it was was God's match, and that's why it worked. Well, you know, we hear about church plants. It sounds like you're a pastor plant or a transplant, maybe. (laughs) But but the Lord has smiled on that work and your ministry there. And it's another extension of how... You're being faithful to the gall God placed in your heart uh, mm-hmm. those many years ago. Yes. We're almost out of time, Rob, but I want to come back to your own story and uh, this wonderful uh, uh, conversation we've had. It's focused on some of the deep riches of the Christian faith from the book of Genesis right through the great festival, festivals of the church. You're talking to a number of people on the Beeson podcast today, some of whom will have Jewish friends and acquaintances. Mm-hmm. And... How would you recommend, or what suggestions would you have about how to share faith in Jesus with friends who are Jews and not believers in Christ? Yeah, I think, really, I think there are three keys to doing this, and they are this. Love, love, and love. (laughs) That the key here is this long-term committed friendship 
to be together with someone through the things that they go through and for them mm-hmm. to see uh, God at work in your life. Uh, and uh, that's, that's really it. And, but I want to encourage uh, a lot of people say, well, I'm not Jewish. I don't know how to share Christ with a Jewish person. I, I want you to encourage you that 90% of the people who, who are Jewish who come to faith in Christ come to faith through the witness of someone who's not Jewish. Mm. I also do want to, to give one other encouragement and, and really two others. Uh, one is that the Jewish person will come to faith often through, as I did, with a direct encounter with the Word. Mm. Don't underestimate the value of opening the Scriptures together and talking about them, mm. not just presenting a couple of claims or a couple of passages, but reading through sections of Isaiah, reading through sections of other of the prophets or the Torah and talking about them uh, are really crucial. And there's another thing, and that is prayer. Uh, just to, if I can share a story real mm, quickly. Sure. Um, I, I had gotten a call to come in and share with an elderly Jewish man by some of his neighbors who had been trying to share with him were getting ready to move away and said, maybe we could get someone else to come and just share the gospel with him. So I went to his house and, you know, had a wonderful conversation with him, left him with some information about the Messiah. And I just kind of went away thinking, I'm not sure if anything really happened here. So I went home and got a call from him that same night. And he said, I wanted to let you know that uh, I read that literature. I said, well, what did you think? He said, well, I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my life. And I was kind of stunned. So I called some folks who were in ministry with me at the time, and I explained everything that happened. And they heard, and they said, wait a minute, does he live on thus and such a street and thus and such a location? I said, yes, how did you know that? They said, well, we need to call Tennessee. I said, why is that? Because there are some people there who have been praying for him for 15 years. My, isn't that something? And so don't underestimate what God is doing with your prayers. And that example of that long-suffering prayer of a, a couple in Tennessee who were praying for a man in Birmingham really stood out to me as a picture of what that needs to look like, that it's, it's a faithful commitment to pray. Wonderful. Thank you for this conversation. It's been so encouraging to me and uh, be able to work with you and sense the graces of Jesus Christ in your life in such a special way, day after day after day. And I think our listeners will pick that up just by this conversation today. So thank you, Rob. Thank you. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.